0: And you have to you have to dance a little bit. In the you got big shoes to fill, O'Brien. Since Chris isn't here. what kind of room? What? Good morning, everybody. Hey, Kara, Dennis, Janet, Chris, Scott, everybody that's in the chat. Good to see you all. Yes, we apologize for the timing uh, issues this morning. We uh, got got some wires crossed and things like that, and we've had some bandwidth issues, but hey, we're on. We're enjoying our coffee, and we're going to welcome our fantastic guest today, Mr. Brian Washburn. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. I should probably just kind of kick things off though, and let people know what's going on. Chris is doing some training in uh, on the other side of Canada from where uh, Domino HQ is. And so he was trying to get in with us from a hotel, but the hotel Wi-Fi was cramping his style. So uh, he decided to drop out and it's just gonna be Brian and I today. I'll be flying solo as your host today, but thank you all for joining us. Really, really great to see everybody here. I hope you all have a cup of coffee. We're going to talk about what instructor led training, who talks about that anymore, Brian, what's up with that?
1: It is, it's actually my life. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about this.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. As we should be right. So first of all, you're new to the show. So let's introduce you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure.
1: Uh, I'm Brian Washburn, I am currently the co-founder and CEO of a boutique instructional design firm called uh, Endurance Learning, where we put together both e-learning, so we do the e-learning side of the house, but also instructor-led training. So um, Brent, I've known you for, I don't know, a handful of years, I think I met you back at an e-learning guild conference way, way back when. Um, but I've been in the world of instructional design for about 20 years. Um, started in the classroom, in a non-traditional classroom, so I was teaching GED classes and that's where I really had to kind of figure out how do we engage kids who have left the traditional school system. I realized that um, the, the classroom wasn't necessarily where I wanted to be and that's where I started to kind of walk down the road of of um, corporate training. and. Uh, And walking down that road I have, and here I am talking with you today, Brent.
0: Yeah, yeah, man, it has been a long road. I think we dialed it back a little bit. I think, was it like, was it DevLearn 2009? It was,
1: that sounds about right, yeah.
0: 2008, 2009-ish. What is this tweet chat
1: thing? (laughs) So it was was like a 7 a.m. session um, at DevLearn, and uh, I got to meet all of the the personalities that morning, um, who normally I would only interact with on on Twitter.
0: Yeah, ah, good times. Well, those were the early days of Twitter for us, right? There weren't that many of us doing the whole Twitter thing, so we all uh, had to band together and uh, try not to worry about being laughed at. <laughs> those <was> Twitter people. <laughs> all right. So instructor led training. Oh my gosh. Uh, so um, like we were talking about a little bit earlier. Uh, First of all, let me just give a quick shout-out question into the chat. How many of you started off as instructor-led trainers or still do instructor-led training? You do workshops maybe or you um, teach a class, um, you know, to actual, you know, humans (gasps) face-to-face? Go figure. Yeah, it looks like we got a lot of you. All right.
1: Some people in the past tense. Some people... In the present progressive, it's good. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was one of those folks, and Kara, I'm not going to say it, but in the early days of my career, I was one of those passionate e-learning technology folks that thought, "Oh, this is going to totally do away with teachers and classroom training because we're going to make this technology e-learning thing so awesome that who's going to want to sit in a class anymore?" do you get that much?
1: Is that for me or for the folks on the
0: chat? (laughs) A little bit of everybody.
1: (laughs) That was definitely the back. So I moved out to Seattle in 2007 um, and I took a job as a training director for a small nonprofit here. And um, as I was preparing for um, for that interview and, and looking over the job description, the the organization was was a national network of nonprofits, and they really wanted to move towards e-learning and I was just getting into the space at the time. And so I was reading Michael Allen's books. I was taking a look at all the samples I could find online, figuring out what, you know, because that's, that's where everything's going, right? People didn't want to spend money on travel. And, um, and there's some really cool simulation things that you could do with e-learning. Um, it really was going to be um, kind of the, the, the thing that, that snuffed out um, instructor-led training on, on a big scale. And, um, and so I faked my way as best I could through that interview um, and, and ended up getting the job. And it turned out that um, while e-learning became a component of what we were doing, it, it, um, it didn't ever replace instructor-led training to, to the extent that we, we thought it would
0: yeah and so from a basic instructional design standpoint let's just get right into the whole title of why we decided to have this conversation today um you know looks like we got a great handful of folks that have either done instructor-led training in the past or still do it today or may be actually looking to get into it because they see it as an as an option that's still available and everybody wants to get better at it so we're thinking about how do we do this better and faster? Doesn't the instructional design process just take care of it when, and we should just keep doing things the way we used to?
1: You know, it's funny because when people mention instructional design, I think there's a lot of different, it's one of those terms that could mean different things to different people. Um, and so when when I first used that, started using that term, I didn't know about Addy and things like that. I just thought instructional design was basically lesson plan design, right? Um, And there's a bigger process in terms of, you know, if you want to use Addy, you know, kind of figuring out is, 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 is training, is a formal training environment, even the, what what is going to be the most appropriate solution, then you get into the actual design phase and, and delivery. Um, yeah. So I think that um, the first thing that could be helpful is just kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, well, what is instructional design in the first place? Just for the purposes of this conversation, so we can all be on the same page. Yeah. Um, and I think that instructional design is a much more holistic process that starts with Okay, what are the needs of, of the people who are going to be learning um, and what's the right solution? And then once you start to go down that decision tree and decide, okay, um instructor led is, is the way to go, that's when you can kind of start to play around with things. Um I was in a conference a few weeks ago in, in Miami and um and JD Dillon and I you know he he hammers this point home on social media all the time to anybody who, who will listen um that you know what? Uh, and there's a whole school of thought that we don't even need training. Let's let's do away with training altogether. Um, and I don't know that he would necessarily go to that extreme. But there's definitely a school of thought that says just give people make make sure the information's out there for people and that they know where to find it and let them teach themselves. Um, and that is definitely. I really appreciate the whole the whole model um, that talks about let's remove some some of the friction and the barriers to learning. Um, but when you get to the point where you know what we do, we need this formal training environment. Um, I think that there are some some ways to to speed up the process, um, and also to keep in mind that a lot of times training isn't always the the only reason that people are being brought together um in in a in a training setting sometimes it's networking sometimes it's relationship building um you know if you're going to do a a session on breaking down silos you you want people to be in in kind of in the room together uh and so there's there's a lot of different reasons why people would be brought together in the first place And keeping that context in mind is really important as one starts to roll up their sleeves and get into the design process.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that is, I think if there's one thing that we've learned over the years, especially from the blended sort of approach that everybody started getting into, right? And we called it blended learning or blended e-learning. We have become much more attuned to all of the different options and all of the different Things that people need to learn more efficiently and effectively. And it kind of includes everything. But at the end of the day, if you're brand new to something, a formal structure of sorts is the best way to get you going. But then, like we all know, right? All the old story, you know, you only remember 10% of blah, blah, blah. And when you do the training and all that kind of stuff. And so then we talk about building you know uh you know support afterwards i always talk about it as training isn't is the event learning is a long-term process and we need all the different technologies to support both of those so uh, what are some tips what are some things when people are thinking on okay as part of this ecosystem part of it is going to be an instructor-led portion let's just assume that all of the analysis has been done, and it has been proven, and we've done our due diligence. And yes, in fact, we do need an instructor led training piece. What are some ways that and things that in your experience that have helped you be better and faster at making that happen?
1: Yeah, and so I just want to go back to so um, there's a question over here. Where did that ten percent thing come from? Um, and, and as soon as you said that, I was thinking, oh, if Will Talheimer was on this session, he would um, he would blow up the the chat. <laughs> Total man. Um So the answer to that question is it came from nowhere. Um, but uh, so the uh, but getting back to your question, in terms of. Um, some things that were really helpful. When I first started, and, and again, I started in, in a classroom, um, in, a, in a non-traditional classroom, teaching GED classes to, to kids who had left the, the traditional high school setting. And so I have to figure out, okay, well, how do we engage people that that really, the traditional setting didn't, didn't work for them? And that is so transferable to the corporate training environment, right? So people are sent to training sessions and they don't always like it, um, you know, and and so I some of the things that really helped me and my father was a seventh grade science teacher and he sent me binders of stuff on how to create um, and how to how to design for for people so that it's engaging. And I think that it always and and I, I have a feeling that um, this is going to be a really basic thing that um, that probably everyone in who's, who's here um, will, will be like, well, that's a duh statement, but it's so important, is w- what is it that people should should be able to accomplish by the end of the, the session here? So even if we're gonna do a blended approach where we do some things before and we, we do some things after to check in with them and, and leverage technology or some other things like that, the the question that needs to be answered before anybody opens up PowerPoint or opens up any other tool they're gonna map this out is, what is it that people should be able to do by the time we're done here together? Um, and how are they going to demonstrate that? That second question is 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 super important because a lot of times I've, I've worked with SMEs, I've worked with other people, and they, they, they say, you know, the goal of this is for me to tell that I, I just want to tell them this. Um, and when you back up and say, well, first of all, it's, it's not about the person who's at the front of the room. It's not about the instructor, uh, even though it's called instructor-led training, right? It's, it's about the, the audience and, and the learners and what is it that they're going to, to get away with. Um, and, uh, and so I think that um, being able to define what it is that people should be able to do before they leave and then this, the most important piece here is how are they gonna show me they can do that? Um, and so uh, those are two very uh, important kind of sides of the coin to get started, I think.
0: Yeah. And it's like, well, I mean, it's the old adage, you know, start with the end in mind sort of thing, right? I mean, it's really any sort of design process. You need to kind of know what is that final thing going to look like. And then then you just keep stepping it back. That idea comes across in project management, you know, all those different things, right? Go start at the end, work your way back and figure out how you're going to get them to do it. And, you know, a lot of times I've pushed on SMEs in that same way, where at the end of the conversation, you have them thinking to themselves, well, maybe there really isn't anything for them to do. People just want to know some of the things that I know. And I'm like, well, that's great too. If people really are interested and they don't want to actually do anything, they just want to know some things that you know then there are some ways that we can make that more efficient too and them you know understanding that better and and in how we organize the content and in how uh long it takes uh you to describe it right and to transition from one thing to the next
1: now when 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 that comment comes up and that comment comes up a lot i they just need to know it right the the question is or they just want to know it. The question is, well, why? Why? Why do they want to know it? You know, and, and that leads into a, a really important conversation because, well, they want to know it so they can um, perhaps someday move up in their job, or they want to know it because um, because then they'll be able to do X, Y, or Z things. Oh, they'll be able to. Okay, so let's talk about those X, Y, and Z things. Um, and let's figure out how, and, and I really appreciate what you said, kind of, um, even that fundamental idea of starting with the end in mind. And so you, you do, you, you talk about what should people be able to do by the end. And then a lot of times I'll jump to the end. Okay. So I think that what we're going to do at the end of this two hour session, we're going to culminate in some sort of role play where people get feedback, or we're going to culminate in them actually producing something. And then the question is, okay, well, what do we do for the first hour and a half? to get us so that we can be successful at that at the end at that Um, activity. Yeah. Yeah. uh,
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that is, you know, just, and, and you're right. I think it does when we have these types of conversations, they do kind of come across as a, well, yeah, of course, but it also is a great reminder that, you know, because sometimes it does become so easy to just, jump into the tool, right? <laughs> and, you know, and start building the bullet points off of the PowerPoint basic template and just sort of doing a brain dump into a bunch of slides. But I, I love that idea of thinking it through first, what is it that you want to do? And then actually building that doing activity first and then figure out what is all the instruction that needs to happen Leading up to making sure that that activity is successful. What's the baseline of knowledge and information that those people need?
1: And when you talk about um, kind of doing things better and faster and building this better and faster, being able to start with that kind of that. And that's kind of where the creativity comes in. That's where that's where we add value uh, as instructional designers to an otherwise. um, Sometimes it's going to be an otherwise dry course or otherwise. You know, I I worked for an eye bank, so cornea transplants in my previous Mm. job. And um, and I remember I was talking with our VP of quality and um, he was headed to India uh, to do a session with Indian iBankers there on quality. And um, and we were talking one day and he was just so frustrated with me um, because he said, um, uh, I, I don't do touchy feely. I don't know what you want me to do. Quality is boring. They just need to know it. Um, and And I said, OK. Um, if you think it's boring, then how do you feel, how do you think your audience is going to feel about that? And that's something that I think that we also need to keep in mind is, as instructional designers, we're not always designing for ourselves, we need to design for the people who are actually going to deliver the end result too. And so we had this conversation, and um, he said, well, they need to know it so that people, you know, the corneas that are are provided for transplant are quality, that, that they don't injure people they don't they don't do more harm um and i said okay well that's actually not boring that's that's really important you know we're we're, we're basically curing blindness if we do it right um and so uh so
0: how do we- important
1: <laughs> yes it's super important um and so uh so we said you know we started talking and said well if we talk at them about quality policies and procedures and um you know sops and things like that are they going to remember it when they walk out of here? And are they going to be able to do what it is that we came here to do, so that people are getting quality corneas? And um, he kind of looked at me, and and so we went through and said, okay, well, what do you, we we can't bring them all to a lab in a training room. So how do we bring the the lab to the training room? Um, and uh, and so that it, a lot of times, um, just having conversations with with the SMEs or or with whoever's going to be delivering it. Um, is a really good way to to really hit the ground running, um, and and then the other thing to keep in mind is again if we're not designing for ourselves because if I can design stuff that will will kind of be a little bit crazy and if if it blows up in my face if it falls flat well that's that's my thing I'll learn from it and I'll I'll move on to the next thing but a lot of times the SMEs um, you kind of have one shot to get the design right. Yeah. Um, so that they will deliver it and have confidence that okay, um, maybe I shouldn't just put together a bunch of bullet points. Um, maybe there there are ways to engage people, and, and those are the champions that we want um, in order to be able to push forward kind of the and push the boundaries of of what's what people will 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 put up with. Um, and so we need them in our corner. And so making sure that we design for for their voice as well and their comfort level. Um, I think is is an area where where it's going to be really important for for instructional designers to um, to keep those those factors in mind as well
0: yeah I've often said to uh, to folks that I've talked to you know what's the first thing I should do I just got this new job and everything And, and I always say get to know your IT guy and get to know the people that you are going to be training whether it's the management whether it's the actual people if your job focuses you on one particular area of the business and your responsibility is to just maintain and to keep those people trained then you need to live with them you need to figure out what you know who they are what they like you need to know who the SMEs are the types of things you just need to get to know people and and you're right once you start to engage with your audience sometimes the training just becomes very obvious and how you're going to deliver content just starts kind of a lot of those decisions start kind of just being made on their own. Let me yeah. jump in here real quick and uh, answer a question from Amy. This is uh, this is really good, and this is one of the reasons why I think it's important we still talk about ILT. She says uh, ILT is expensive. Clients want to do too much in a full six-hour session, or in a two-day workshop, or you know, pick any number of hours, right? Cognitively, uh, overloading, making it a cognitively overloading experience, right? So what tips do you have to help manage expectations for what is realistic? I design large leadership sessions, scaling these down with the client. What do we want them to be able to do, et cetera, is super challenging. Yeah,
1: and this is where um the word roofless comes to mind. And I think it's really important for for us as we're working with um with uh the the clients and we're partnering with them because I think that that's another word that's really important as partner. Um and so um working sometimes it's really helpful and necessary to push back in terms of what's going to be realistic. Um and uh, I remember I was working with uh, a, a technology client here In Seattle um, a few years ago and it started out as I would have a full day I would have six hours to to present um, on presentation skills and then she got back to me and said actually um, you know with some other things that are happening um, we can really only give you three hours um, but we still want to accomplish all these things and so I I took a step back and said okay well, based on the six-hour plan that I had, there's some fat in there. We can cut that down um, because when it comes to these essential skills, um, they don't need to do all of this stuff. And so that's a really important piece, is um, especially with with leadership development and, and some other sorts of, you know, uh, whether you want to call them soft skills or whatever you want to call them, um, the the non-technical skills, right? The the people skills. Um, the, a lot of times we get enamored with activities we've done before or a process that we've used to build upon, um, you know, one step upon the other. And then one of the questions that's really important to, to ask is, is this all necessary? And maybe the answer is going to be no. And that's when we can start to cut, even though it was a favorite activity, even though people have responded to it well in the past. We can still get to um, what people should be able to do by the end of this without including all that. If the answer is yes, this is really important, then you have to go back and say, okay, um, just like anything that's budgeted, any resource that's budgeted, whether it's money or time, um, you know, we want to accomplish all these things, but um, realistically, given our budget, and here we're talking about time, um, we can't. And so how do we prioritize this um, and, uh, this is again, Brent, you know, you're talking about this a little bit earlier, is there stuff that people can do beforehand? Um, and that's, that's actually a, a solution that has come up time and time again. Is there a reading that people can do beforehand so they get the content? Now, the challenge with this is how do you hold people accountable for doing work? On
0: that right. Platform? I think we've all run into that where it's like, did you do the pre-work? Half the class did, half the class didn't. And now you've got a mismatch.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so uh, I'll get to, I'll come back to that in just a second, but just kind of the the philosophy or the thought behind this is, um, is there some stuff that people can do in advance, whether it's e-learning or reading or things like that, um, and they can come with a baseline of, of knowledge. Now, um, recently, I think I was at, oh, uh, Mimeo um, had, had asked me to to um, write up some some thoughts in terms of pre-work, um, because they're putting together an e-book on this. And um, so how do you hold people accountable for pre-work? Because that is just as an important Aspect of design if it's going to be part of, of what you're using um, as the in-person in piece itself. And so how do we have accountability measures, um, especially if we don't directly have any power over, over our learners? Um, and so being able to plan in, um, hey, we're, you know, and announcing to people, letting people know, um, you know, the first thing that we're going to do when you walk in that door is we're going to actually um, a specific example of something that, that we've designed. We're gonna have like a poster session. So people are gonna walk in the door, we're gonna do our introductions, and everybody's gonna be get, individuals are gonna be given flip chart markers for the first 30 minutes, create a poster of what it is that you learned or what it is that you did prior to this, um, and then you're gonna present it. And so for those who 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 feel that they're too busy um, or, or too important to do the pre-work before this, it may be a very uncomfortable experience for you um, as, as we get started here. And so, um, it, it, and that is, again, kind of, it's, it's, it's a little bit harsh um, to, to do something like that, but um, it's also harsh for um, the other people in the classroom to do pre-work that you, you yourself didn't do. Um, and so I think there's a number of things that, that can be done with a little bit of creativity. Sometimes it requires a little bit of sass, um and um and and but letting people know what the expectation is and why it's important for them to do it um can can be really really helpful in, in terms of that that pre-work um type of thing and then of course you you can do postwork too so we're going to touch on these topics here um if you wanted to know more or if your job really requires you to to dive deeper not everyone in the classroom will that is that the case for but here here are some resources um for you to kind of take a look and do a little bit deeper dive um after after today's session
0: yeah there's um there's there's a lot of ways you can do it It, it, you know this this conversation also reminds me of um uh brain rules by john medina and um he talks about sort of he he doesn't so he's got a lot of data and a lot of everything he talks about is is research based but there there's one particular area that um he says the research supports and his own experiences support it because it's how he teaches at the university level but he calls it the 10 minute rule and so he has kind of figured out that at about the eight minute mark or so, when he's been talking about one particular topic, he knows he needs to start transitioning because he knows he's going to be losing his audience at about that mark. So he's designed his conversations to be, uh, and or topics, to be about 10 minutes, and then he's always transitioning with something shocking or something to bring them back At about that 10 minute mark before he moves on to the next one. And that always kind of stuck with me because we talk a lot about micro learning these days too. And if you're going to chunk some content down and create it into an, in self-paced version, or if you're going to make a video about something, that's normally about the length people have been saying is, is, you know, depending upon the content and the topic and whatnot, that's about right for that kind of stuff. Don't you think?
1: i i agree and i think that the transition into the next um topic is really important and i think there's some models for us to take a look at in pop culture so um if you take a look at um a lot of time like stranger things the first season of stranger things on netflix right um sure. i i watched i watched the first episode and i was like ah, that's okay and then the very end they left they they left they kind of had a cliffhanger ending of the first episode and i was like I got to watch the next one now, right? And so, if we can do similar things to that in in the ways that we um, engage people and, and have conversations with people during instructor led training, um, I think that there's a lot of lessons that we can draw from from other aspects of life and bring it into to what we're doing. Now, John Medina, um, I, I have not seen him speak, but I've heard really good things. I have had friends who have seen his keynotes. He's a he's a university lecturer. Um, he he does what he does really well and is paid handsomely for it. Um, now, I, uh, one of the, and, and if you take a look at TED Talks or other things like that, there are some really engaging people, um, and that's not the case for most of us as we're in front of people. Um, and so even when I've been asked to deliver keynotes, I need to include some sort of audience interaction or participation. It's just I, I can't shake it. Um, and so you know, I will have people turn to the person next to them, or I will, so I, I think that John Medina's 10-minute rule is a really good rule of thumb um, especially for people who are asked to speak and who's ought and and you know you're kind of in front of classroom style seating um, there's not a really good um opportunity not a natural opportunity for for people to have conversations as opposed to people at round tables or things like that that said um i really still do push for Um, And I have kind of a a design model that I'll use. Um, It's called Anchor Content Application and Future Use. So Anchor is getting people kind of hooked into what the content is going to be, how they can relate to it, things like that. Um, the content itself is the information we'll present application is giving people an opportunity to play around with it. And then future uses, how would, how would they use it out in the real world? Job aids, things like that. Um, and so
0: and that, let me interrupt you for just a second. Yeah. So is that sort of model framework for the whole entire, you know, course or, you know, um, event, or is, do you do that cycle at certain multiple times throughout the event?
1: yeah it's iterative um right so so different objectives different topics um you know we will shift gears and and like all models you know it's useful um, all models are are use uh, some all models are wrong some models are useful is is kind of the um, the the mantra with with any yeah. model really right and so this you know it's clean to say anchor content application future use um, but sometimes anchor and content are the same same thing or application future use is the same thing um, and so but it's a really good question it's it's kind of an iterative process as I inject um, new topics in and need to get people again relating to a new topic and that's why we bring back the anchor and then we go into the content and the other thing about that is when you talk about content it doesn't always have to be lecture so yes we can use the kind of the 10 minute um, rule in, in a lecture it can be storytelling it can be something um, it could be you know a top five list of of five five reasons or five problems with this um, that, that you want to pay attention to my content for um, and those are a little bit more passive for the audience but there's also ways to present content where the audience doesn't have to be sitting and passive. You know, you can set up a gallery walk around the room, you can set up stations, you can um, do other things where people can kind of discover the content, play with it, interact with it, and then come back and figure out, okay, well, how do I apply this? Um, and that's not just for soft skills that can be done for, for technical training that can be done for, um, you know, Salesforce training. Um, you don't have to sit in your seats in front of a computer to do all of this stuff. You can, you can get a little crazy, um, with, with how you how, how we're engaging our audiences.
0: I think anytime, if you're an instructor led, if you're in an instructor led situation, I think anytime you can get your audience to stand up and to, to move to a different spot or to stand up and do an activity or something, I think you're, you're winning at that point because it, it's, um, that in and of itself is a great transitioner, right. You know, people, you, you know, you get the blood flowing again, people aren't just all of a sudden slumped in their chairs anymore. And now they're up and now they got to start like engaging, you know, full time and, and whatnot, you know, we, so, you know, one of the things that is always, uh, that that always stuck with me in our conversations is you've had the ability to, you've done so many of these that you've built your own little mini structures, you know, and in order to get it with things that you saw being repeated over and over again. So you've built yourself templates and, and I'm kind of leading up to this whole idea of templatization because everybody talks about templates, right? Can I just get a template and plug in my content and be good to go? And I have, there's, you know, Obviously, I'm sure you've engaged in debates on that as well. You know, some people love templates, some people say no, you must start from scratch every single time. But if we're talking about getting better and faster, we can't have this conversation and not talk about templates. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And and so um and and again, you know, if if and, and I'm not sure the, the the audience here, but a lot it sounds like a lot of lot of conversations um for for these these hour long coffees. Have been more around technology. And that's a big thing in on the e learning side, right? Is to to create, um, whether you're using Storyline or Captivate or whatever, but to create templates that can be repeated, um, you know, customized, modified, and, and repeated. Um, but you're still using kind of the same interactions and things like that for other things. And it, and it helps to that that rapid authoring of, of e learning. And I think for instructor led, it's the same thing, um, right? So we'll have similar topics um, or sometimes um, you know, we'll just have similar starts to our objectives, right? So people should be able to compare and contrast. Well, if you have kind of a stockpile of, of activities or things like that, you can definitely get into the, the templates and, and, and repeating, um, different things, even for very different topics. Um, and I, I, and personally, I kind of go back and forth. Sometimes I just open up a blank lesson plan. And even though it's a presentation skills, I've done this many, many times. Um, and I have in my mind some of the things I've done, but I'll create something from scratch. Other times, especially if I'm in a hurry, I pull up the four pre- presentation skills lessons that I've done most recently, what worked really well, you know, what, what aligns with the outcomes that we're looking for for the session, um, and I'll bring over some stuff. And, and then I'll have to go in and, you know, customize it to the, the particular client, things like that. But um, absolutely having a library of, of things like that is, is really, really helpful. Um, for for quick design, but also for for proven design, right? So if you've delivered something in the past um, and it really resonated with a group, it doesn't necessarily mean it will resonate with the next group, but at least you know it works. Um, we sometimes will experiment with some new ideas. Um, we were working with a, a tire manufacturer and their sales force, um, and they had asked us to redesign a, a sales training for them, and, um, and they, uh, they had this whole section where they um, were showing PowerPoint after PowerPoint of the components of a tire. Um, and it was a really long section, I observed it. Uh, and and I was looking around the room and, and some people were paying attention, um, but a lot of people weren't. And so we redesigned that and we brought in canisters of Play-Doh and had people, give, we gave people the, the diagrams of cross cuts of tires and things like that and had them recreate a tire on their own. Um, using different color play-doh for the different components and then they had to present um you know this is these are the different components and these are the different um parts of a tire and this is why they're important and this is why this t- is the right tire for you and um and when i pitched that idea the the client hated it they're like these are 60 70 year old guys who've been in tires for 50 years selling things and you're gonna have them play with play-doh and i'm like yeah and uh I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's see how it works um, during the pilot, and then if you don't like it, we'll we'll go back to it. We piloted it; they loved it, um, and so that's an activity that we'll bring into other, um, other, other topics, other training sessions, even for different components of that particular company. So back to your point. Um, being able to kind of templatize um, certain activities and being able to modify them, but, but keeping them in your back pocket is a really important piece to kind of rapid design.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's such a great example too, because I hear that a lot. Every, you know, it, it's the, you know, we're dealing with adults here, Brent. We don't want them reading comics. We don't want them playing with Play-Doh. We don't want that. You know, they're not going to like that. They want to be treated like professionals. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Sometimes professionals need a little bit of levity and they need to be creative and they need to be able to think. And it's actually quite helpful. And now there's all sorts of research on it. All the stuff done around Lego, serious play. Kevin Thorne's a big proponent of that. And it's interesting. I'd never thought of Play-Doh before, but I can see that being used in a very, very similar way. Uh, you know, with the same it, kind of ideas and whatnot.
1: As long as you're brave enough to to pitch it to the client and stick by it, right? And so we had... A <coughs> Excuse me, we had a question earlier about kind of timing with, with clients and how do we get everything in, you know, if, if they want all these things and only have a certain amount of time. And I think that this is another thing where you have to kind of be brave with with the client and say, hey, trust me on this. Um, and uh, And if it doesn't work, we'll change it. But. Um, we really feel strongly that this is the best way for people to grasp this concept. Now,
0: well, I, I, Jennifer's I, right; like she says, yeah, you can't be a gimmick, and that and that's exactly it, right? I mean, you're not you're not walking in somewhere and saying, "Okay, for five minutes, just play with your play doh, and then we'll get back to the content." No, there's right. a legit reason why you thought this yeah. would be a good idea. This would be an interesting exercise to get people to connect better with that content.
1: Yep, absolutely. And and, um, something else that Jennifer mentioned um, a little bit earlier in in the comments, and I want to come back to that too, is, um, you know, kind of templates um, help people with expectations. And um, we recently designed something where uh, talk about kind of templates and repeating things. We recently designed something for, for a client where it was the same set of activities back to back to back in the same session. And we did that um, for predictability for both the the facilitator as well as the students. It was for medical education. And um, and the faculty were doctors, and they're accustomed to um, delivering the PowerPoint slides that they have and assuming that people are going to soak up their wisdom. Um, And so we were moving towards a more audience-centric um, model. But w- again, going back to this idea of designing for people's comfort zone, we also wanted to make sure that they felt comfortable delivering it. And so we had the same set of anchor content application future use activities for three different topics. Um, and they were related. And so it gave the facilitator predictability, and it gave the audience who's not expecting to, to engage, who's, not, who's expecting to sit there and listen and take notes, it gave them predictability in terms of the second time around, okay, I've seen this set of activities before. Um, so now I know what I'm supposed to do. And by the third time, um, they kind of hit the ground running with it. So, um, So it's not just for different sessions. Sometimes it's the template for the same session.
0: Yeah, and I love that that comment, too. And I'm glad you picked up on on that and brought us back around to it because that that kind of consistency is really, really important. If you have something completely different for a whole suite of courses that, that make up a curriculum, you're having to retrain people's ideas and thoughts around it. and And some people might think that consistency equals boring. It doesn't have to right it's just certain parts of it should be consistent in order to like what we talked about earlier right and we don't want so much cognitive load that they can't consume the content and i think consistency helps alleviate cognitive load and more so than you know if you didn't have consistency it adds to their cognitive load so if we're going to go all neurosciency on you folks then <laughs> the consistency is important yeah. Yeah. How do you, and, you know, and I how think, do you judge which parts. Well, it, <laughs> is that well, a whole other show?
1: <laughs> well, going back to what, what you're saying, though, is um, I had a really brilliant comment to, to respond to what you're saying, and it totally flew out of my head. So no. I'm not going to go back to what you're saying.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I've been rambling on, and we normally like to end uh, idiotic anywhere between 30 minutes and 45 minutes. We don't normally go the whole hour. And uh, so we should probably start to wrap things up here a little bit, even though uh, it sounds like everybody's really enjoying the conversation. And it's good to hear that feedback from you guys, too, because it's nice for us to know that, hey, you know what instructor led training actually is. I was a little nervous at first thinking maybe people won't really want to listen to us talk about instructor led I'm all into it. I know you are. So it's great to hear that we have an audience that is uh, that is interested in hearing more. So maybe we can have you back in the new year. And, yeah, I'd,
1: I'd love to come back, and I love how you frame this, Brent. Is um, in terms of it was it was it was kind of um, instructor led was kind of the dinosaur of of training where you have other things. It's, you know, you had e learning coming in, and and then you had kind of blended learning, and um, now we have AR and VR and um, micro learning and all sorts of things. And um, it's kind of come around to the the idea that it's not the dinosaurs it's, it's one of those tools in in the toolbox where of which there should be many there should be many in any instructor instructional designers um, toolkit and and this is definitely one of those um, really important pieces
0: yeah we shouldn't bash it uh, as as a bad thing it is it's just it's another tool it's another type of hammer it's another just you know, another thing that we can go to, to be really effective in the work that we do and the instruction that we do. This has been tons of fun. Uh, Can you drop into the chat and also just let us know where people can find you and uh i would be remiss if i didn't give just even a little bit of shout out for your new product that you have available tell people where they can find it and sure. yeah
1: yeah so um i just dropped in um my blog so train like a champion dot blog is, is where people can listen or read um, my wit and wisdom on mondays and then my colleague heather publishes a post on thursdays um not tomorrow though um, and then the other thing, you know, Brenton, you and I were talking a little bit, and and um, kind of this idea of rapid um, instructional designer. Um, and, and, I'm sorry, instruct, instructor-led training design. You know, there's there's a lot of um, rapid e-learning design programs out there, um, but and and there's a lot of programs out there that will help you beautify your slides for instructor-led training and things like that. Um, but we came out recently just with a tool that can help people um, put together the entire kind of uh, a facilitator guide some slides and handouts um, within minutes um, so rapid instructor-led training design um, and I'll drop that if, if people are interested to kind of take a look at that I'll, I'll put the box uh, the the link um, down in the chat if people want to check that out um, cool. hear their thoughts um, but yeah. thank you so much for for inviting me to, to be part of this because this is this is fun and, and also you know thank you for the mug, I, I love the mug.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, it's a, it's the least we can do. Yeah, it, it's become very popular, especially for this holiday season. So we'll be uh, we'll be shipping a lot of those out probably. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, good luck to you, man. Thank you so much uh, for hanging out. And Chris, if you're listening, this wasn't half as much fun uh, with you not being here so next time we're just gonna have to figure out you're gonna have to get that Wi-Fi taken care of in the hotel room or something I don't know but you know you guys are uh, this is a great group of folks and a great crowd so again thank you for the feedback you guys thank you for uh, you know hanging out and engaging with us and asking such great questions we're definitely gonna do this again so um, let us know reach out to us let us know if you have specific topics you want to talk about we will be back next week. We only have a couple more idiotics before the end of the year, and we've got some great ones lined up. So stick around for the rest of the year. See you, Brian. Thanks again, buddy. Hi, Ryan. Good, Brent. Cheers.